Father, thank you again for a chance to come together and just love on the Word and to devour the Word together, to study it together. I pray tonight you open our minds. I pray you open our heart. I pray that everything said will be meaningful, that which is not food for our spirit. May we just chew the meat, spit out the bone, and that which is of you, may it find good ground and uh, grow in our heart. In Jesus' name, you shout amen. amen. Revelation 14, verse 1. And then I saw a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people of the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. And I saw another angel flying through the sky carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. And another angel followed him through the sky shouting, Babylon has fallen, that great city has fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. And then a third angel followed them shouting, Anyone who worships a beast and his statue or who accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It's been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath. And they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And they will have no relief day or night. For they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. And then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come, and the crop of the earth is ripe. So the one... Sitting on the clouds, swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. And that, another angel, came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with a sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth, and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress in a stream of about 180 miles long. 
and as high as a horse's bridle. Can you say amen to the reading of the Bible? I, uh, I've really just been pondering what, where to go with this chapter. It's, it's really pivotal. Uh, chapter 15, the moment we hit it, it's, it's a snap of a finger and we're at the end of this seven-year journey. We find ourselves here about halfway through, but we really don't get the beauty of the next three and a half years. It's just a snap of a finger in chapter 15 to 22. is pretty much just the end, and it's going to play out really quickly uh, through the Jews, through the Gentiles that are left, uh, into the destruction of Satan's kingdom, into the millennial kingdom, and then into eternal life. And that's where we're going to head with the, the rest of the teachings to come. But in praying about where to go tonight and what to say, I, I wanted to make it meaningful to you. So it, it wasn't just me trying to download um, excerpts of what something means so you can just go home and say, I think I know what this means, but something that would be practical to us all and I think very pivotal into understanding even the whole book of Revelation and what we've been saying up to this point and what we'll continue to say at the end. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles. I'm going to take you through several scriptures to build a thought. And the thought I'm going to build is the love of God for humanity and how this chapter plays into the love of God for humanity and what our response is to that and what we're doing about it as God's people. Here is a scripture and I, I want to just take a minute to talk about how God sees the world. If you, if you don't come at this from his perspective, revelation is difficult to understand because even God tells us, I don't think like you think. Uh, we usually, you know, when we're trying to share with somebody, we kind of always say, well, you know, the ways of the Lord aren't your ways. His thoughts aren't your thoughts. His thoughts are higher than yours. And we're usually talking about our purpose in life. Like, I have a purpose, but God sees my purpose bigger than my purpose. But in, in everything we do with God, God's just thinking differently than we are. We think human and then try to define God within our humanity. But God that created it all, he does view things differently. So to understand Revelation from my perspective, I'm going to come out with different interpretations. And if I pull up and look at it from how maybe God who penned this letter may look at it. Here's the verse, Genesis 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. I'm going to go all the way back to like lesson 1 and 2 and to remind us again there's nothing that God has ever done that he doesn't finish. He completes everything he does. He even says here on the seventh day God finished his work. He blessed it declared it holy, and he rested. So in, in playing this verse out, because he's the Alpha and Omega, this is where we're headed. We're going to do a repeat. If you read uh, the book of Revelation 22, we, we basically wind right back up here. Some versions actually have the heading of Revelation 22, Eden, the Garden of Eden, restored. We go back to this moment of a tree of life and the river of water. We'll get there in the weeks ahead. But I do want you to know that God is not haphazardly moving us through time. He, he is working a plan. He's organizing it. And He very methodically will finish it. If you recall Jesus on the cross, Jesus on the cross actually said the words. We, we, you know, we teach it during Easter. It is finished. 
And then in that it is finished, we try to define what that is. He finished the old covenant. He finished the Ten Commandments. He finished sin on the cross. But it does bear that Jesus, for anything to be blessed, it has to be finished. For the church to be blessed in in full and to come to rest, it has to be a finishing. Here's the next verse. John 3. For God so loved the world, you know it, I mean, if you're a Christian, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then this phrase, it's kind of left out of that main topic of a scripture we use. God sent His Son to the world. Now go back to the creation. He created it at rest. He created it finished. He created it to be complete and at rest. But now we have this thinking that The Son of God has not come to judge it, but to save it. Almost intimating that something has happened to the world that it's going to need judgment, but something is going to happen to try to save it. So there's there's all this undercurrent going on from God's perspective, this judgment, this salvation. And this is all going to play out in the book of Revelation because God has to finish all this. He has to finish his work with the world, with judgment, with the sun, with the people that are still left on this planet. Here's the scripture. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe, John 3, has been judged for not believing God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. And so in a weird way, we we get a picture of kind of what's going to be going on in the book of Revelation. Judgment, faith, uh, people, uh, light, darkness, as this plan of God for this holy rest plays itself out. Now the beauty of God in all of this, the beauty of God in in this thing we call the world is he was kind enough to tell us how it ended. Are you thankful for that? I know we mess it up. Like, is there going to be a rapture? When is the rapture? I know we mess it up, but the beauty of it is he gave us a piece of work, uh, the revelation, that that he's just going to tell you how it ends. And whether we get all the details right, let's at least, and we're going to go there tonight, at least look at what is God trying to accomplish here. So I want to do this the way the world, as God sees it. I've talked about all this before, but this is just kind of a very pivotal chapter of what's happening. So some of this is just rehearsal. God views things from a Jew. There's the Jews. And there's two kinds of Jews. There's Messianic meaning they, Jew, believes that Jesus is the Son of God that came to deliver them. And then there's what we would call Orthodox Jews. They do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, but there is coming a Messiah in the future. Uh, Both are alive today on the planet. Messianic Jews believe Jesus came. He was the Son of God. He is to return. Orthodox Jews, Jesus was not the Son of God. He was a prophet. The one coming is to come. Then we saw this several chapters in. There's the Gentiles. And you got two categories. And that's everybody else on the planet. There's those that believe in Jesus. 
and there's those that don't believe in Jesus. So there's two categories. Uh, all of these will be dumbed down to the sense of either children of God or children of the devil. We saw also that there is another person in the mix, and it's the church. And the church is comprised of Messianic Jews and believing Gentiles. So once you believe, they, they, they go into two. This is why Paul will say things like God made the two one. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility. He made the Gentiles and the Jews this big mystery, put them in a big family, called them one. And we get adopted into this thing called the church. The reason we get adopted is because God views the church distinctly different than the Jew. And so he made promises to the Jews, but because they rejected him, Paul will say, you and I get adopted into the family, and you ought to be grateful we got grafted in, right? We talked about that as well in the past. But this is how God sees the world. God doesn't just see Japan, China, America. He just sees either believing or unbelieving nations, uh, Jews who either are Messianic or Orthodox, and he sees the church. Now, here's the thing. God's got to finish all this. God in his godness has to finish, and we talked about this before. He has to finish these three groups of people because everything he starts, he finishes. So the first thing is, how is he going to finish the church? I feel like I've done a good job trying to say he finishes the church. Now, when I say finishes the church... It's not that we won't rule and reign. That's going to be a different beginning. That's a new beginning for us. Right now, we, we don't rule and reign in a kingdom with him. We rule and reign in theory by being seated in heavenly places, but not in reality yet over a kingdom. So what happens when the church is raptured is our earthly witness is over. In other words, we don't go around anymore and tell people about Jesus. We're gone. And so that beginning point, you remember everything he starts, he finishes. He started in Acts 1 with you will be witnesses into othermost parts of the earth. And what he's going to finish in the rapture is your earthly assignment as my witnesses are over. Your next assignment will be you will rule with me and reign with me on planet earth. And we will see who we will rule and reign. How is he going to finish the end of the Gentiles. We talked about this, that there's coming an end to Gentile world dominion. I want to take you back, way back. Anybody remember this? Daniel, we were in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we found out in Daniel 2 that all these kingdoms of the world ran by Gentiles will ultimately be crushed by the kingdom of Jesus. He will put an end to all rule and Jesus himself will rule planet earth from Jerusalem with the church. Come on, somebody. He will rule and reign. Right now, we're not there yet. It is by faith right now. Jesus has not come down. Jesus is not on a throne in Jerusalem. But Daniel gave us a great, beautiful, prophetic scripture of our, of our future. And our future is that this Gentile kingdom will be finished when Christ's kingdom crushes all the others, right now Jesus is Lord. But he's not king of kings yet. There's a lot of kings still on the earth. He's Lord of lords right now. But when he returns, he comes back with a name written on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the word of God. And he will rule all the kings of the world one day. 
And right now they're doing their own thing and we're waiting on his kingdom to come and him to set his, his throne up. But he will finish the Gentile world kingdom. The third thing he's got to finish is, is all these prophecies to his Jewish people. The prophecies made to Moses and Noah and Abraham and King David that one day he made a promise there will sit a king on David's throne forever. And the way he finishes that is he establishes a thousand year reign of a Jewish kingdom that will reign on the earth. So when I say he's going to finish all of this, I, my belief is he finishes the church with the rapture. He finishes the Gentile dominions by overthrowing Babylon and the kingdoms of Satan and Satan's Antichrist. He overthrows them. And the way he finishes his promise to the Jew that they will reign forever is he sets up a kingdom and he rules for a thousand years before we ever enter eternity. Now this, in a nutshell, as I said before, is the book of, of Revelation. And specifically, something very critical in chapter 14. And the thing that's very critical in chapter 14 is um, why does God want to finish it? And here's why God is working to finish it. No longer, this is Revelation 22, no longer will there be a curse on anything. Come on, somebody. <laughs> For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And His servants will worship Him. And never in the history of the world has a human seen the face of God. But we will see His face. And His name will be written on our forehead. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun. For the Lord God will shine on them and they, his people, will reign for how long? This is why he needs to finish the plan. He needs to finish the whole thing so that the end result is the curse will no longer be here and God's people will finally be at a place to where they can see him face to face and they can reign with him forever. God isn't just trying to set up a kingdom so he can go look how powerful the Jews are. He's trying to fulfill the promises that he gave so that he can dwell with human beings and we can actually see his face without dropping dead. And we can worship him without having to bring animals so he doesn't kill us. And this is where he's headed toward. He's moving us to this kind of place. But, and this is chapter 14, for the end to come, something incredible has to happen. Uh, and the end cannot come until it happens. And, and it's probably the most, uh, my opinion here, probably the most taken out of context verse of many verses in the Bible. But it's this verse in Matthew 24. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. And sin will be rampant. Everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, see we're headed somewhere, that person will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will what? Will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations of the world will hear it. And then what? And then the end will come. 
So we, we have a pretty, a pretty big problem here. This is as clear as Jesus could make it. The end will not come until the whole world has heard of Jesus. The entire world has to hear. The planet has to hear of Jesus. If he comes before that, it's unfair. This lends the question to be this about world evangelism. The church has been given the task to reach the world. Now, if Jesus cannot come, he even said, I cannot, the end can't come until the whole world hears the good news of Jesus. We debated this for weeks in seminary. What about the jungle dude in the jungle that doesn't hear? We got to go tell the jungle people. What about the people over here that have never heard? We better go tell them. What about the people in the window of 1040 that have never heard the gospel? The nations, well, let's get busy. Let's take up an offering. Let's plant churches. Let's win souls. And that's the the nature of the church is... We've been called to reach the world. We've not been called to do church. We've been called to reach the world because we are the church. And what we've done is we've separated ourselves out of the world and called ourselves and have church, but we quit reaching the world. We reach ourselves really well, but we don't reach the world well anymore uh, because we, we stopped reaching the world and we started being the church and we built buildings and had meetings and we feel good about ourselves. Here's a thought. This is just a thought. Do you really believe, probably by laughing, I've already told you my answer. Do you really believe that we, church, can win the world or just preach the gospel so that every person in the world will hear it before Jesus comes? Do you think that's possible? The question is is by far, well, it would have to be possible because why would he ask us to do it? But here's the reality. The reality of this church is that 385,000 people of what we can measure according to the World Health Organization are born every hour. 385,000 people are born that are born into the world population I wrote this down. About 385,000... I stole this off a website. 385,000 babies are born each day. That adds up to more than 140 new million human beings a year on our planet. And you want to tell me that we're going to reach 140 million new people a year? When the average Christian sitting in this room hasn't won a lost person in five years? That's that's true. The average Christian is not winning souls. The average Christian would say, raise your hand. When's the last person you won to the Lord Jesus Christ? Most Christians will not even be able to say, I have won a lost person to Jesus. We're very focused on, I just want to pay my bills. I just want my husband better, my wife better, my kids better, a better job. Pray for me, God. Get me off this God-forsaken planet. But the end won't come until 385,000 people a day, brand new, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 140-something million people a year. We're losing We could just simply say, chill. He's not coming in your lifetime. 
if you think we can reach 140 new people, million people, to Jesus this year. Several years ago, we were here at Believers, and I, I said, all right, we were in the middle of a, a teaching, and I said, all right, if you've ever won anybody to the Lord this year, raise your hand. Now, this is spirit-filled, tongue-talking, gifts of the Spirit, Bible-reading church. Raise your hand if you've won somebody to Jesus this year. There was probably 200 people in the building. And one person in the back raised their hand. So now we're talking 200 plus passionate people who read their Bible, who pray in the Spirit, who believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And out of the 200, one said, I won somebody to Jesus in the last year of my... So we gave him 365 days. In the last 365, one person. So it would make me think that... Do we really believe we're going to make it to the ends of the earth? Or do you just think somebody else is going to do it? Like, yeah, just get me off the hook. I'm just going to give money and let some missionary go do it. Do you think a missionary that we're giving $1,000 a month to is going to reach 140 million people? No. Is Instagram trying? Yes. Is Google trying? Yes. Snapchat trying? Yes. Facebook trying? Yes. Church trying? Probably not. And what we're going to have to ask ourselves is... Will the end ever come then? Have, have we gotten, has the devil watered down Christianity so much that your average Christian is afraid to witness? Your average Christian is afraid to walk up to a person they work with and have worked with for five years and to say this, hey, do you know where you would spend eternal life if you passed? Just a fear, not that, they're, not that they're ashamed of Jesus, if they ask, somebody would say, but a fear to interject a lost person to know him. We, we've, we've become so brilliant at Americans, we call that missions and missionaries, and we funnel money because it's easier to throw money at it so that I don't have to be responsible to win the person I've worked with for five years, and if they died tomorrow, I would probably go to hell, though they work next to me for five years, but they don't know God because of me. But come Lord Jesus, and he's like, well, I'm not coming. There's too many people. I, I don't want these people to die. I don't, I don't mean that to be mean. I, don't, I hope I'm not coming across mean. I'm coming across because I tried to figure this chapter out because it sure doesn't feel like at this rate he's going to come next week. If I look at wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and diverse places, he's probably coming next week. But if I go to, I'm not coming until everybody's heard, chill out. Let's go eat Mexican because we got a long way to go. And it's not like the world's holding off. 385,000 a day are popping out. We would have to just super get busy. The churches would fill up. If we just started witnessing, well, here's Jesus. This is the start of the church. Okay, so when he started, and he's got to finish it, you'll be my witnesses. That's the start. So what would he have to finish? He would have to finish the church witnessing. So there will come a day where the church will witness no more. Well, if that happens, how could he ever come? I think I figured it out, and I'll share it with you. Why would we need to witness right now? Well, here's one reason. Why do we need to tell somebody about God? And they speak, 1 Thessalonians, of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. And this is what we're to be witnessing about. Jesus is the one that has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. 
So God himself knows there's a terror of judgment coming. And then he says to me and you, why don't you go out there and tell every human you know they can be rescued from this judgment? So one way we kind of downplay that is no judgment is coming. It'll never be judged. God's not going to judge anybody. Don't you judge me. I won't judge you. That's one way around it. There is no judgment. But God very much teaches us there's coming a judgment. So my job becomes I need to go tell people they can skip it. You can skip this part of God's plan of judgment. And the weird, I'm not trying to get into like, you know, debating theology here. But the beauty of it is every human on the planet believes in judgment. Everybody does. Ask anybody. So if you don't believe in judgment, so if I kill your wife, I'm cool. Oh, no, man, you'll go to jail. Okay, good, you believe in judgment. So if I steal this, if I steal this $100 off your plate or off your wallet, I, you're okay with that. No, man, you steal my money, you're going to pay for it. So every human believes in judgment. And so God says, well, so do I, and that's where we're going. Here's Thessalonians again of why the witnessing of the church is so important. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, so he won't have to pour out his anger on us. This is the beauty of getting born again. The beauty of getting born again is not so I get the privilege of going through the book of Revelation, going, look how holy I am because I made it through it. The beauty of getting born again now is so I skip the coming judgment. I don't have to go through God's... And remember, I taught you persecution and judgment are two different things. I can skip the judgment of God. I can skip the coming wrath of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the final verse... For the great day, Revelation 6, for the great day of wrath has come. And then this phrase, who can survive? There's coming a time on our planet where if people don't know God, they're probably not going to live. They probably won't make it. And if we do know God, I've tried to say that we're going to be rescued out of it, but this brings me a... A question that I think is, is pretty valid. And the question is this. Um, if the church's earthly mission of witnessing is finished, then what about the other two groups that are left here? Does God just quit caring about these people? Because remember, if, if the whole world has to hear and the church is raptured, well then the end's never going to come if God is relying on us alone. He's relying on me right now so that people will skip the judgment. But once he's removed me out, he still cannot bring the end until the gospel has been preached. It is unfair. Everybody has to hear before they can be judged. Everybody has to hear the gospel. So if the church is taken out, God's in a predicament. If he takes me out and raptures me out, what about these? Does he just quit loving these people? He said he loved the whole world. Now is he just going to let them go to hell? Is he going to let them burn? Is he going to... What about the Jews and the Gentile if the church is gone? And here's the thought. We do know this from our study, that out of that Jewish nation, there's a group that will start believing. There's 144,000 that are sealed. And then there's the Orthodox that just keep the Ten Commandments. So there'll still be faith here on planet Earth even after the church is gone. 
God will use the 144,000 to try to spread it out there. And then we also will know this with the Gentiles... There will be even those that aren't part of the church that were unbelieving. They will put their faith in Jesus. But the, the issue is of why it's so important now to witness is because once the church is removed off the scene as a witness to uh, absolve from the wrath of God that is to come, the, uh, not the only, but probably 98%, the only way you're going to make it is to die. You're going to die. Everybody who's left who believes in Jesus pretty much will be killed off. Uh, through beheadings, through the Antichrist, it ramps it up. So if anybody left believing on planet after the church is gone and somebody goes, man, I didn't realize and now I want to believe and I choose to believe, the likelihood that they make it is rare. Most of them are going to be beheaded for their faith and be resurrected later, in a few chapters later, we'll get to it. Here's a scripture. I saw another, this is where it gets interesting. I saw another angel, and here's the question, if the church is gone, how does God do it? I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying what? Carrying the eternal good news to do what? To proclaim it to all of the world. To who? Every nation, tribe, language, and people. Like God is so passionate that the world would hear. Everybody would hear. He realizes it's impo almost impossible for us to get everybody here. And we would have to get into countries. We would have to go around dictatorships, get arrested, thrown into prison, try to get Bibles in. Why do we do that right now? Because we're passionate for people to skip the wrath of God and to become part of God's body. But once we're raptured out, God is still passionate about lost souls. He still doesn't want any to perish, but he cannot come until the whole world hears. And here it is. You want to know how close to the end you are here. The moment the angel flies over the earth and in a moment proclaims the gospel... So that from an angel, in one moment time, I don't know how that's going to work, but in, I just know God can do it. In one moment of a time, we'll proclaim the gospel and every ear on the planet will hear it at the same time. And in that moment, the end can come. Because now everybody can be... And here's what he's going to say. This might show you how far off the mark we've really gotten. Here's the gospel. It's real simple. Fear God, give glory to Him, and here it is. For the time has come, there's that time when I was teaching about time, when He will sit as judge. So worship Him who made the heavens, the earth and the sea, and all the springs of water. This in a nutshell is what God has left us here to tell people. Fear Him. He's going to judge you. Give Him glory. And worship Him. Uh, as what I wrote down in this is, what is, the eternal, what is the eternal gospel that the church is supposed to preach? It's, it's our duty to preach this. Here's the first one. Fear God. Just fear the Lord. Honor Him. If you want to see this played out, this slide here, I believe it's played out beautifully in the book of Daniel. I think the book of Daniel plays this slide out pretty well. 
as what the gospel is. Fear God, Daniel 1. I'm not going to eat that food. I'm going give, to give glory to God. Number two, here's the eternal gospel. Give glory to God. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? I'm not going to give glory to God. To do my own thing. Okay, you've been weighed in the balance. You've been found wanting. Then the third one is worship him. So this is the eternal gospel. Fear God, give him glory, worship him. Fear God, give him glory, worship him. And we're to go around the world as people and we're to fear God. Why? Because he's going to judge you. Give him glory. Why? Because if he measures you, you're going to be found wanting. You've fallen short of glory. If you want God to measure you, you're never going to measure on his scale. You have to give Christ is the hope of glory. So you've got to be born again. And then you've got to worship him. So that in a nutshell is what we're to be doing. Now here's, here's the church's part. We go around and tell people judgment's coming. I know that's not popular today. I know you have no right to tell me I'm in sin. You have no right to tell me I am a sinner. There is no sin. There is nothing evil. It's all of us, YOLO, everybody for ourselves. You do you, man. I do me. Pull the beam out of your eye. Don't. But the whole goal of the church was to tell people there is judgment coming, but you can be spared from it. I'm not here to put you down. I'm here to tell you there's hope. I'm here to tell you don't have to go. But if the church is raptured, the next message of the eternal judgment is not it's coming, it's already here. And that's the one that's going to be preached by an angel. So the judgment that is coming allows people to believe, to be adopted into the body, to be rescued from the wrath, to rule and reign with him. But those who reject him will hear the gospel preached by the angel. And if they choose to believe, they're going to die. You're going to pay a price for it. You're going to be beheaded for it. You'll still get resurrected. You'll still get life. You'll still come into the kingdom. But most of the people who reject the message of the church and choose to believe the message of the angel will be beheaded and life will be over. So let's look at this system. I should say revelation. I just live in Genesis, so forgive me. Revelation 14. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, and this is critical. We're going to look at this in a few chapters. Shouting, Babylon is fallen. The great city because she made... Now watch, just so you understand, the devil himself desires the nations of the world. Now if God needs every nation, tribe, and language to hear the good news... Let's not be too naive that the devil is not working overtime to get his good news to people. I sometimes feel like he's doing better. I sometimes feel like as we walk around just staring at these things. But I can, I can, I can be on the other side of the world in less than a second. Uh, I, I do every day, typically. I can go to WhatsApp, and right now I can pull up Federico. And when I pull up Federico, there's my, there's my guitar builder in Spain. I'm just, yo, bro, what's going on? He's in Spain. I'm here. We're just chit-chatting it up, talking about life, his family, my family. Hey, I want you to build me another guitar. YOLO, thank you. So, so we need to understand that the technology is here, that the world system can propagate to 385,000 people instantly. The amount of people being born right now are being inundated by the world system. 
while the church seemingly were behind on everything, the world is shoving it down their throat. I need to get my message to every ear, to every eye, to every kid, to every student. And if you don't think it's interesting, watch most kids today. It's a scroll, scroll, clip, pop, not even say anything, just a picture, just a snap, just a this, just a that. And the world is working overtime. We laugh at it as old people and go, they're just addicted, they're this, they're that. But the reality is, is that the system, Babylon, is working overtime to do what? Passionate immorality is her message. Who would have ever thought today we would be passing legislation that girls could become, boys could become girls and compete in girls' sports, and the government would give money to your children without your parental consent to turn the girl, boys into girls or girls into boys based on their own decision of their own gender and their own life. They can do that. Who would have ever thought we would have been there? Well, it's because Babylon knows. 385,000 people a day are coming out. I'm going to reach every one of them. I'm going to reach the entire world. Whether I do it through social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever I do, I will reach the entire world with what? The passion of my immorality. I had lunch with somebody today and they were talking about the power of pornography. And how sad it is today for every young man that... I mean, in my day, you had to hunt it down. You had to go see if your mother had a Sears catalog. You had to, you know, just say, I got to dig it out. Today, it finds you. You just wake up and there's, oh my God, it's everywhere. It's every commercial. It's on our phones nonstop. It's shoved in our throat every single day. Fifth and sixth graders are transgenders and bisexuals and, and, and pansexual. And who would have ever thought sixth and seventh graders would be talking about being pansexual? It's because the passion of the immorality of the enemy's kingdom to inundate how much the entire world inundated. If you ever want to just get into it and look at the, the staggering amount of data for the sex trade and the sex trafficking industry, it is mind-blowing of how many young kids are paraded across the grounds of America all in the name of passionate immorality. Men sleeping with children in sexual acts. We, we just, and our brain can't even think that way. But the devil's Babylon has fallen. Here's what Babylon is. The thought, we're going to talk about this in the weeks ahead. Babylon is that worldly false religious system. It will govern the whole world. It's not just a system. I believe it's a literal place of where Satan's uh, manifested kingdom will work out of. He will have a home base. And he will work out of a home base. But he will do it through a very false religious system. As we get into it in the chapters ahead, it will be like Babylon, the mother of all harlots. The, uh, the, the, the adulteries and the fornications. Almost 90% of what's connected to Babylon is perversion. So what we do know is going to happen in the end is there's going to be, as we, as we approach moving closer to the come of Christ, there's going to be a very heightened perversion across the world. It's the system of Babylon. It's putting her passionate immorality into the thinking of people. And just read the articles as they're talking now to just uh, normalize pedophilia. That it, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're attracted to little children, that's normal, that's you. 
And we, we hear that kind of stuff. We think, how, how? The reasoning how is, is because this system of Babylon that begins to take over the world, this passionate immorality that perverts. And come on now, let's just be honest. It doesn't just pervert ungodly people. It perverts everything. Preachers, me, you, marriages, it, 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 it will get its tentacles in you. How many young men that I talk to that the tentacles of pornography are just in them. And even when they say, I try to quit, but it's everywhere. I want to stop, but I can't. The habits that I have, and, and I hear it over and over and over. And it's not just because boys will be boys, which is what I've heard. Yeah, boys are just boys. It's that it's a passionate immorality to, to pervert the thinking of the, the, the absolute unholiness from the God who's working toward holiness. Here's the false gospel that this Babylon system is going to preach to us. Uh, the best way I can define this for you is Paul in Corinthians. Uh, if you just want to read Corinthians 1, this would probably be the best place to really define this world system. And let me just throw this thought to you. Um, if you, if you read the book of Acts, Paul finds himself at Mars Hill. And he says, hey, here's to an unknown God. I think I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. And he starts downloading that thinking. And the Stoics and the philosophers get really in tune. They're like, dude, you're brilliant. Why don't you come and chat this up some more? And Paul does. He chats up the debates of his brilliance. But when he comes to Corinth, he will say this. I did not come to you, Corinthians, with wise and persuasive speech. I tried that. I came to you in a demonstration of power. And, and what the false gospel is going to do is it's going to move me from a demonstration of God's help and power into a trust of my own wisdom and my own self. I'll trust me before I trust anything else. And I'll trust our wisdom on planet earth before I trust anything else. The next thing that will be propagated in this false gospel of this system is just better yourself. It's the sermons that come out that you can just be a better you. Listen, this is my heart. You can be a better you without God. You don't need God to be a better version of yourself. You can just join a gym, eat healthy, walk every day, stop thinking negatively, take some yoga classes, do something. You can just be a better person. But one thing you cannot do is be a new creation. Old things passed away, every habit dead and gone, the old you dead and gone. And the whole false gospel is just sermons that tell you how to be a better you, but they're powerless to change anything in your life. You just live perpetually frustrated why you can't ever overcome the real problem. The third thing is worship yourself. By that I mean work hard, play hard. Paul will say this. He said, if there is no resurrection, let's just eat and drink because tomorrow we're dead. In other words, there'll just be a thing. Man, just work hard, play hard. Everybody deserves it. That'll be the gospel that begins to go out. And then the church will start preaching there is no judgment coming. Don't worry about it. We love everybody. Don't worry. We all have problems. There's no expectation of repentance. It's just everybody's got a problem. All God's children got a problem. Welcome to a family. Welcome to a church full of misfits and problem. Who wants to join that? 
I don't want to join a group of people that say we're no different than we were when we believed. We just like each other more. Either it is true, we're, we're really new creations. Old things passed away. I'm a brand new person. Or are we just a bunch of people that are like, yeah, we don't care if you fail. We don't care if you got problems. I, I mean, I don't in the sense that I'm, I mean, I don't love you. But, but the whole reason of the gospel is freedom. That I'm free from all that crap. I'm free from all the stuff I used to do. I, I'm not there anymore. I've been delivered. I'm, I'm overcoming. I'm, I don't want to be a group of church where we all just like, yeah, we all got problems. We're just a bunch of misfits of God. Come on in. You'll fit right in. That's L.A. fitness. <laughs> I, I want to go somewhere where somebody says, you don't have to be that way. You don't have to live that way. You can live overcoming. You can have joy unspeakable that's full of glory. You can wake up with peace every day. You can be healed in your body. I want to join that group of people. That's what the gospel is. And then the final one will be this, the accept everyone, and that will be preached by the culture. Just accept everybody. And I'm not saying we don't. I'm not saying we don't love, love who you are, but, but we don't want to leave you that way. We, we want you to be different. So the Babylon system will be propagating this 90 miles an hour, throwing it down your throat every single day. Because it has 385,000 people a day to reach. I'll just say this to you. There's plenty of people to fill this building up a thousand times over. Plenty of people. And, and it's not on me to do it. We could double every church in Douglasville if every person that went to a church in Douglasville just said, I'm just going to bring a friend next week. I don't even care if they want to come. I'm just going to get them, get them out of bed and take them. Because I think being there is the best place they could ever be. Uh, we would double overnight, but, you know, but yeah, I'm tired of whining on that. I'm a whiner tonight. Uh, back to Revelation 14. And a third angel followed, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast in his statue or accepts the mark on his forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It's been poured out full strength into the cup of God's wrath, and they will be tormented. And I don't have a lot of time here, so I'm going to end quickly, but... It's, it's a weird thought. They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. For people who don't believe in God, there is no hope. They will forever, and I know there's a big teaching now that there is no hell. God would never send human beings to hell. Uh, he would never let human beings burn in the lake of fire. How tragic that is. But I, I would challenge you to find anywhere in Scripture that would teach that. I know it sounds good in human wisdom. He's too good of a God to do that. But he's only living up to his holy nature. That if you, if you reject him, you'll be tormented. Now, here's the weird thing about that. Uh, I, I believe that there is a literal lake of fire. The problem is, is Hollywood has pushed it way out in the middle of nowhere and there's this glorious heaven and then way out there somewhere is hell. And once your loved ones die, you'll never see them and they'll burn in hell forever. Right? I mean, that's kind of the Hollywood mentality. Heaven here, hell there. They're two are forever separate. But that's not what I read in the Bible. Because what I read in the Bible, we will see those that are in the lake of fire forever. And we will watch the smoke of their torment rise forever. And we who are living will see that. The smoke of their torment. Revelation 14. And the smoke of their torment 
will rise forever and ever. And they, those that reject Jesus, will have no relief day or night. Meaning nobody's going to pray them out. There is no purgatory to get you out. Mama can't get you out. It doesn't end. It's, it's ongoing. So there's some people believe that once you burn, you just burn up your ashes and you're, you are no more. But, but that doesn't congrue with Scripture. There's no relief day or night. We know it's human. It's not just souls because it says they worshiped the beast and accepted the mark of his name. Now, where did they accept the mark? On their forehead and on their hand. So this doesn't just mean that they're just, you know, ethereal souls out there with no consciousness. He actually connects it to the forehead and the mark, meaning that their personhood, the fullness of them, their soul as well as their body is being tormented day and night. And this is where I think it gets interesting. Revelation 20. This is in the future. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all who were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown where? Death. So it's a real place, thrown to the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And then it kind of tags into humans now, not just spirit beings. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown where? All right, it was thrown into the lake of fire. So as we pull this out, where is this lake of fire? Is it somewhere out in the middle of the universe somewhere? And my answer is no. I believe it's going to be on planet Earth. And the lake of fire will be on the earth, which is where we will be ruling and reigning. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Revelation 21. But cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake burning with sulfur. And this is the second death. So now not only are spirit beings there, but human beings are there in this lake of fire. Revelation 22, where is it? Blessed are those who wash their robes, for they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat from the tree of life outside the city are who? The dogs, the sorcerers, the section of the rowdy, the murderers. And all who love, and those, just so you remember, those same people there, the murderers and all of that, unbelievers, are in a fiery lake of fire. And that fiery lake of fire is where? Outside the city. So in the, in the, when the heaven comes down to earth, and the new Jerusalem comes down, and the city lights it up, there's no more, we're going to look at this in the future, there's no more need of sun, there's no more need of light, because the Lamb and the city are the light. Outside that city are the other nations of the world that we will rule and reign over. And outside of that city is the lake of fire where everyone who ever rejected the Lamb will be burning in torment forever and ever. I don't think, my opinion, I don't think we will see their souls in their body. I think we will just see the smoke rising. And we will always know that the smoke rising is the eternal torment of those that have rejected the Lamb and tried to rebel. And it will be a forever testimony. 
as the smoke and the incense of that rises up of judgment. And I'll give you this thought and then end with the scripture. I believe we will see the lake of fire and the smoke of torment rising day by day during the thousand year reign, if not forever. That for forever. So this concept that hell's going to be this real cool place, my buddies will be there, and it'll be off somewhere in oblivion, we'll never think about them again, is, is just not a biblical concept. The biblical concept is the rebellion uh, those that are not even known by God. He says, I don't even know you, and, uh, and you're, you're judged. But here's why I don't think we'll see them. Jude 1 says this. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up foam on the shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, and then this phrase, doomed forever, and then what's that last word? Blackest to blackest darkness. So when we think hell, lake of fire, let's don't think from it from our perspective that there's this beautiful bonfire that lights the world. There's something about the burning of this lake of fire that is in total abject darkness because it's separate from God. It is the second death. God is light and in Him there is... So when He says blackest darkness, it must mean that this smoke of their torment is going to be far enough on the planet that it doesn't is encompassed by the light of the city, but we'll see the smoke rising through the darkness, but those that are in it will be pitch black dark. I don't even know how to define pitch black dark except this. Years ago, in my stupid years, I went caving uh, with a group of guys. I was in my 20s, and they said, let's go caving tonight. I was like, dude, what's caving? They're like, oh, you got to love it. Uh, dude, I'm in. Count me in. I got two kids. If I die, it'll be good. I don't have four yet. So we went to Tennessee, and we walked in a hole, and we went through all these little caverns, and then we got into a room about half the size of this, and we're sitting there, and he goes, what do you think? And I said, oh, this is cool. And I said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to go through that hole right there. And I said, what hole? He said, that hole. I said, that hole's only this big, about this big. He goes, yeah. You're going to have to lay down. You're going to have to take off your helmet because we had a helmet with a light. And he said, you're going to have to shinny on your back. And as you shinny on your back, your, your feet are going to dangle. It's about an eight-foot drop. Don't worry. When you get there, I'll catch your feet and I'll get you down. You're not going to be able to see anything. You're just going to have to go. So I'm like, okay, dude, I got it. So I started shinnying and I got there. And literally the top of the roof is about right here at my nose. And I had to turn my head sideways, and I just had to shinny my lip. The only reason I'm here is my mother prayed me through. I just, <laughs> you didn't even know she was praying. She's Pentecostal. She's at home like, no, 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 come on, I don't know why I just feel so passionate for Mark's soul right now. <laughs> and I'm shinnying through. And so, thank God I made it. I got down to the bottom. I had this overwhelming thing of that was dumb. Fools die before their time. I don't know how. But then he said this. He said, let's cut our lamps off. <laughs> and so we cut our lamps off the only thing I can say to you is that probably was the closest I've ever been to total abject darkness we're in the middle of a hole in the middle of the ground under, under a mountain and I, according to what I researched later when you're caving it is total darkness there's zero light you could not see your hand this close to your face you're like you can't see anything so when it says blackest darkness, I don't want you to just think that somebody cut the lights off and your eyes need to adjust. 
I mean for eternity. You will be tormented, miserable, and you won't be able to see a thing. But all you'll hear is the scream of the torment and the smoke of the burning and have no clue who's there, no clue what's going on forever. And God gives us the beauty to get off of our duffs and to tell people they don't have to go there. And so my, my take on it was to end this way. The reasoning for evangelism by the church is for the sake of people missing the wrath of God and escaping the consequence of beheading if you do believe or death if you reject Jesus. And the end result of the book of Revelation as we read through it was this final thought. When the angel begins to harvest the lamb on the cross harvests the souls that believe through the church and the rapture. And then in Revelation 14 the angel with the sickle I'll let you read it, that's the end. The angel with the sickle reaps the harvest of souls that believed so that everyone who's been beheaded will believe. For the sake of time, I'll let you go. The chapter ends this way, with two angels that are reaping the earth. One is reaping the souls that have been beheaded, bringing them into the resurrection of Jesus' life. And the other angel is reaping the souls for death and judgment. And we find ourselves at the end of the book of Revelation chapter 14, we find ourselves with the harvesting and a reaping happening. The souls that have believed being harvested up to prepare for the end where everyone has heard, all ears have heard the gospel, the angels reap those souls of the dead that have gone. It's called the first resurrection, Revelation 20. And then he begins to reap those to gather them together for judgment. Revelation 15, all the way through, is going to be a real quick playing out of this final moment on planet earth with humans. I think it's going to be very interesting and eye-opening for you. I love you. I bless you. I hope that gave you a little bit to think about. I want to remind you as you go, thank you for your giving. Thank you for blessing kids and all of our stuff. And thank you for being here. I love you and I hope you have a great day. Great evening. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.